Hello, and welcome to the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us. Today's message is here to help you preach the good news everywhere in your day-to-day life. Here at Covenant Fellowship, we accomplish this by encountering God, loving people, and serving others with everything we've got. Now let's dive in. Will you stand to your feet this morning and let's read the word of God together. We're going to begin in Isaiah chapter 60 as we start this new series today called Completely Covenant. For every series this year, we have started it off with this passage of scripture. Until it's part of our DNA, we've got to really reiterate this. So I want you to say it with me. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall become, see and become radiant. And your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Would you lift up your, your hands one time with me right now and just pray and ask God to speak to your heart. Father, we receive your assignment. We receive your will. We receive your word. God, what you've called us to do, we come together with excitement to be able to fulfill it. You said for us to arise and shine, and we do because of the light of God as the glorious gospel has shined upon our path. We bless you today. We love you, Father. We honor you. Speak to our hearts. Change our lives forevermore in the name of Jesus. Amen. And in the words of T.D. Jakes, look at your neighbor and say, get ready, get ready, get ready. You might put a little bit of attitude with it. Get ready, get ready, get ready. That might be the thing you want to do. Hey, listen, this morning you're going to get some of these before you leave. And throughout this series, you're going to get more resources. But most of them will look like this. This morning will be a postcard, but you're going to get a refrigerator magnet. It's going to be yours. There's going to be other things that's going to go for you because this this little card right here, the ushers will have them to make sure that you get them on the way out. This is going to actually, this is the... um, this is the outline for this series, really, in a lot of ways. So let's, let's just dive into this thing, this series called Completely Covenant. Here's what I know. When God moves in a, any area community, the way he moves is through a body of people. If you look at the seven churches of Asia Minor, that is a region, and inside of that region are seven churches. Asia Minor would be modern-day Turkey. God had seven churches in that region, and each one of them preached the gospel, but they served multifaceted functions. In this region, there's many churches, but you and I serve a purpose for the glory of God through this expression. Now, we're part of the greater body, and a greater body has hands, and greater bodies have 
legs and torsos, that sort of thing. And while we may be individuals that make up what the body looks like here in terms of hands and feet and eyes and so on and so forth, we also are a part of the greater body at large. Our assignment is to do our work well. If we are the arm of a greater body, then we need to have biceps that make the devil run. Do you understand? I mean, we, we need to have legs that would make Usain Bolt a little bit jealous at the speed with which we run for the glory of God. Because if we're working for God, it ought to be a significant thing to our heart. You know, you heard me talk about, when I came off of sabbatical, about significance. And when I talk about significance, I'm talking about we do things significantly for God because God is significant to us. He's done something so significant for us and we're to embrace the idea of significance. Last week to set up moving into this series that I felt like the Lord put on my heart was to help us focus on one, one mission. The greatest thing that we're here for is to reach somebody else with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we, that is our mission is to preach the gospel. Now you would say, is that not every person's, every Christian or every church's mission? And I would say yes, or at least it should be, is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's always going to be a foundation, I believe, of the kingdom. Yes, the kingdom of God is on this earth to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ and to show the culture of the kingdom of heaven with which the destination from which the kingdom of God flows. So we have the kingdom of heaven, we have the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. So there's a place and then there's an operation, a function of a kingdom. And we're supposed to operate. That's always going to be the foundation of every single one of us and should be, like I say, every single church. So last week we did that. So someone would ask me, Pastor, what is Covenant Fellowship's church mission statement? I would say our mission comes from Mark chapter 16, which would say in our context, CFC exists to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone everywhere. That's what we want to do, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone, everywhere. Because the gospel is that liberating, freeing message that God gave to humanity through Christ, the purpose of Christ, so that all men could be born again and not any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Can you say amen to that? That's our mission. We want to see people born again. It should be our prayer. It should be our heart's cry is that what we want to see every Sunday, more than our own breakthrough, more than we want to see a good, good, hear a good message or hope the worship team does a good set, what we want to see is somebody give their heart to Jesus Christ. That should be our goal. That should be our mission. That should be at the top of our prayer list. In other words, I know we've got a lot to pray about, but at the top of our prayer list should be, God, we want to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't know what these, you know, we, this video that we just done, and thankful, you know, Mike Mays and the creations team and Naomi and those guys, they do a fantastic job. But, but, but with this video, what we tried to make sure that we communicated is that there in the midst of all the beauty that we can see with our eyes, there is hurting, broken people. 
And the only way to shift them, listen to me carefully, the only way to shift them out of brokenness and hurt and pain will not be to have a different person in the White House. Will not be for them to have a better job. Will not be for them to have a bigger house or a finer car. The only way to move people from brokenness and hopelessness to hope and joy unspeakable and full of glory is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't know what somebody can become and be until they're born again. I mean, they can be the worst, most wicked individual, but they get a taste of Jesus, you have no idea how much purpose they could have. No, I, I tend to think that the, that, that the enemy attacks where the greatest spoils lie. I believe the enemy goes after people that have the greatest potential sometime to do something. Listen, when I was a sinner, I was a top-level sinner. What do I mean by top-level sinner? I'm inverting something that's really l- way low down. But a top-level sinner means I would try whatever. It means that I got involved in whatever. And the difference between me and my middle brother who just got out of prison is that he got caught and I didn't. The difference between you and somebody you know is they got caught and you didn't. Huh? And the truth is, is that we all, and if, we're, if we just understand that, that, that how far down someone could go, someone might look at my life and say there's no way he could ever pastor a church. I would look at myself and say there's no way I would ever do this. No way that I would ever be used of the Lord. Not the way my life was, but I heard the gospel. And the gospel changed me, rearranged my life. Listen, you don't know the potential of the people around you until they hear the gospel of Christ and become born again. And then they become a new creation. All things do pass away and all things do become new. If we don't just give them religion, if we give them the real stuff, huh? if we give them the real stuff, I'm talking about the right stuff, baby. The real stuff. I don't know. That was on a commercial years ago. It just sounded good to say. Just give them the real stuff. Not some, not some half-committed um, religion, but the right stuff. If we just share with them the authentic gospel of Jesus Christ. So what we've got to understand, I want you to say this with me out loud. I'm a missionary. I am on a heavenly mission. Don't you fall off with me. I'm going to start this over again. I need some passion. We're not going to start off in, in, the, in, in the NASCAR race and end at the golf course. Okay, we're, we're, <laughs> we're going to be a little loud here. Say it with me. I am a missionary. I'm on a heavenly mission with heavenly resources to advance the kingdom of God in a significant way. Yeah, we just talked about missionaries just a minute ago. Missionary, plainly put, is one on a mission. Plainly and simply put, one on a mission. Somebody, we talk about missionaries. Uh, uh, y'all ever heard of Hudson Taylor? Hudson Taylor, you need to read about Hudson Taylor that was willing to leave a comfortable life in order to become a missionary in China in a communist very, very, very aggressive atmosphere and become one of the great, great men of God. I'm telling you, some of the greatest men of God, few people have heard their story. You've got to go digging 
to find their story. But Hudson Taylor, you need to read the stories of Hudson Taylor. Uh, he was a missionary. And who, who, what kind of person leaves a very comfortable life in order to go to a place where you could potentially lose your life? I'll tell you who does someone who understands the missional assignment that they are on and elevates it above their own safety and comfort. And until we elevate our mission above our safety and comfort, we will only have wishful thinking of what we could do for God if. Huh? So what we've got to do... See, this, what I want to preach to you today, I believe, I hope, my prayer is is that it will help us to gain what I am calling this. I want, you to, I want you to put this down. What I am calling dynamic synergy. Dynamic synergy. What is dynamic synergy? Dynamic means it's fluid. It moves. We're on a move forward. We're not static. We're dynamic. And you know what synergy is? It's when one or more people start pulling in the same direction. Synergy is connected energy pulling in the same direction. You can have one person pulling with all of their might, but if you get two, you can pull a little bit more. If you get three, you can pull a bit more. If you get four, you can pull a bit more. That's what God was talking about when he said to us that we would all speak and say the same things because it's a dynamic synergy that moves the gospel forward. So how are we going to accomplish this mission? Most of you that have been through growth track, you know that there's three words that guide us. So how this will happen is number one, by encounter, number two, by love, and number three, by serving. So I'm going to, throughout this series, expand on those a little bit, but I'm going to break it down into values. And some of these values will tie into either one, two, or all three of these areas, encounter, love, and serve. I believe everyone should have a chance to encounter Jesus. I'm talking about in a spiritual way. I'm talking about in a way whereby we go carrying the glorious presence of God, willing to understand allowing the the atmosphere around us to become Christ-centered. And you know, atmosphere sustained long enough, atmosphere sustained long enough creates a climate. Climate sustained long enough creates a culture. You don't wear Bermuda shorts in Aspen, Colorado, and they don't sell them real well at the market. They don't sell well. You don't want to go to Aspen, Colorado and open a surf shop. The climate, you'll fail as a business person. You won't make it. Where you go with that kind of thing is to the coast. You go where the atmosphere is warm. The climate has been sustained long enough that there's a culture operating there that love to ride waves. You got to sell something different in Aspen, Colorado in order to be able to make it. And for us as the people of God, we've got to keep doing atmosphere. We've got to keep doing that until it becomes a climate. And eventually what really moves a church on its mission is when it's the culture of what's expected of all of us. In other words, if somebody that lands in November in Aspen, Colorado gets off of a plane with Bermuda shorts on and a tank top, everybody's going to be like, what's wrong with that fool? Now, my mission here is not to make everybody foolish in any way. 
But the culture or the climate would be unless you get involved in counter and love and serve, that's what becomes the climate and what's expected when you land, when you move in. We want to have an encounter with God. What's got to happen is that we expect encounters with God. We expect to experience the love of God from one another and from Him. And we expect that this is not just an entertainment This is a place to serve in the kingdom of God. We're not into the entertainment business. We're into the serving business. We're all servants. And if anyone wants to be great, he's got to become the servant of all. That's what our Lord taught us. Can you say amen to that? So we're going to do that. So today, I'm going to give you six core values. Six core values, and I'm going to preach on the first one. You mean you ain't preached yet? No, this is all foundation. This is all foundation. Are we good so far? Is this sinking into your heart? I want you to have one of these because what I want you to do is pray about it. I want you to pray about it. If you can't get on board with it, please find a body where you can get on board. What are you saying, Pastor? That doesn't come from aggression. That doesn't come from me. That comes from purpose. That comes from, listen... You have a purpose in the kingdom of God. And if you can't find that purpose, and let's do everything to find that purpose here because I don't want anybody to go anywhere. But when it comes down to purpose and doing what God's called you to do, you are never more fulfilled in life until you do what God's called you to do. Two things. You'll never have the joy of the Lord overflowing in your life until you first be who God's called you to be. That is a child of God, a worshiper close to Him. That is the most satisfying in His presence, His fullness of joy, His right hand or pleasure, nothing like that. But the most fulfilled life is when you step into what God designed you for from the foundation of the world. When you step into that, and if you don't know what it is, it's okay. We'll help you to discover it. Amen? It doesn't matter if it's life groups. It doesn't matter if you have to try three or four ministries until you find what the God has put the desire in your heart to be able to do. You say, well, man, somebody told me a story of they had an encounter with God and God just showed them exactly what to do. But I've been praying now for two years, three years, five years. The problem is, is you're praying and not active. Because if you look into the scripture, yes, God appeared to Saul of Tarshish and told him what to do. But when it came down to the time that they needed somebody serving tables, the disciples just said, pick out some people that's full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom and let them see about that. And one of them was Philip. And Philip, you'll find him again in Acts chapter 8. He goes from waiting tables to an evangelist that reaches a town where the Bible says, great joy filled all of the city hearing the gospel that, pre- that Philip had preached and seeing the miracles and the signs which were worked at his hand. And upon hearing this, the d- disciples in Jerusalem heard this and they sent John and Peter there so that they would lay hands on them, that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for they had only been baptized and believed in the name of Jesus at that point. But when Peter and John got there, they laid hands on them and they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. You see, sometimes what God's called you to do is not going to be looking at a TV screen as though a vision like happened to me. It's going to be just serving. It's just going to be getting your hands dirty and doing something. But all of a sudden while doing it, you'll start hearing God speak to you and give you ideas about this and a way to do that. And next thing you know, you'll begin to discover your gifts and talents and purposes. It was kind of maybe a little bit double for me because God did give me a vision of me preaching 
But in my mind, yeah, you call me to preach, I'll be an evangelist. But I ain't doing that pastoring stuff. But through time. So what I started out doing was serving in Sunday school. I taught a Sunday school class. Actually, we started out cleaning the church first. Started out cleaning the church first. Cutting the grass at church. Just serving wherever we could. And little did I know, God was trying to teach me the dynamics of church. That one day would serve as me pastoring. What am I trying to say to you is that sometimes it will be on the road of discovery. And you won't know until you get your hands dirty if the mud feels good on you or not. We okay? So I want to give you these six things and you can write them down. Here are the six things that will, I believe, create said atmosphere until it creates climate, creates climate until it does culture. It will cause dynamic synergy of us moving together. Number one is we're going to be a word-centered people. I'm going to preach on that in just a minute. Number two, we're going to be spirit-led people. Oh, I can't wait to be preach on spirit-led. The Bible says unless we're led by the Spirit of God, we're not even sons and daughters of God. Number three, presence-driven. I know some people like the idea of, of, of purpose-driven, but I think sometimes purpose gets off track if that you're absent of the presence of God. There's a lot of people have causes, like seeker-friendly. And the one, listen, the, the, that, that seeker-friendly model of church ran its, ran its course about five years ago. It kind of started petering out. Because people began to understand, I cannot be an inch deep and a mile wide. They've discovered that God didn't call me to just live on milk all of my life. And I'm not trying to bash churches. I'm just saying if all I'm hungry for is people in the seats and not hungry for the presence of God, I get a lot of people but no life change. And people then get religion in their dysfunction. And let me tell you what religious and dysfunction leads to. Can God really do this for me? If there's, no, if there's no presence that brings transformation, you'll just get more religious. And you'll tell people how to live, but you won't ever have the encounter to transform you. So what we've got to do is be a presence-driven people. So how do we be a presence? I, that's okay. I'm going to preach about that. I'm going to preach about how you get the presence of God in this church, get it in your family, get it in your home, get the presence of God in your workplace. Number four, we're going to be mission engaged. We're going to be mission engaged. This is all departments, friend. This is not just on Sunday morning church. This is youth ministry. This is kids ministry. This is Jesus' hands and feet. This is discipleship ministry and life groups. This is what we're here to do. We're here to, to in, embrace all of these things in a dynamic synergy. Number five, family valued. Family valued. And number six, worship focused. So let me say them again. Word centered, spirit led, presence driven, mission engaged, family valued, and worship focused. So today we're going to begin with word centered. I'm mindful that it is 1141. 
So you're going to bear with me just a little bit, and, and I'll get through this. Word-centered. This is going to be something that is extremely profound in this first statement, and I need you to hear me with what I'm saying. I truly believe that you cannot have an authentic, earth-shaking faith if you do not have the Word of God. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, they'll have it on the screen for you. So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you want to learn how to have faith that moves mountains, you've got to have more Word. Hello, somebody. You've got to have more Word. Well, I don't like to study. I can't hardly understand it. Until you set your heart to understanding, you won't. Here's what I can tell you. I can tell you for me personally... When I was called into ministry and started doing this, I was extremely concerned because personally I had a problem with reading comprehension. I could read two or three sentences and then I would forget what I read. It wouldn't sink in. It was as if I could say the word or at least try to. I could say the word, but I wasn't comprehending it. Like... I was pretty good at math, but if they gave me these problem-solving things in a way that I had to... Jane had four apples. Joe took two of those apples, and one was eaten by a worm, and four of them was... And it goes on, I'm like, can we just not, like, do two plus two and minus... Can we not just do that? And it was up to me to be able to figure that out. And so one of my greatest concerns... God, you called me in the ministry... I am sure you got the wrong guy because I can't comprehend what I'm reading. It doesn't compute. I don't get it. I shared that with my pastor. He said, man, all I can tell you is keep reading and trust God because he said he'd lead you. I I don't pretend to be a theologian and I am not a scholar, but I am a preacher and the Lord has given me... Here's one of the things that began to happen in my life. When I first started preaching and I was 30 years old, okay? I was 30 years old when I first started preaching. Actually, no, I was 30 years old when I started pastoring. How old was I? 23 years old. Yes, 23 years old. I was 23 years old. At 23 years old, started preaching. You know what people would say? Man, you got wisdom beyond your years. You got understanding beyond your years. Man, I'd get by myself and cry to the Lord and pray and just be so grateful because I knew my limitations. No one else did, or maybe they did and they just didn't tell me. But they didn't. The, the limitations that I had didn't show very much. What showed is that God would impart wisdom and understanding into the passages of Scripture which in turn would release more faith and a greater confidence on the things of God. And I'm just telling you, if you want authentic faith, you're going to have to get into the Word of God. As a church, listen to me, I need to to be very clear. We will have a biblical worldview. What I can tell you right now is that what is the, the, um, the aggressive approach from culture is... A drastic move away from biblical worldviews to a secular progressive worldview. Those things are drastically different. They are extraordinarily different. A biblical worldview begins to help you see the lens through with which God shaped it, formed it, molded it, and His intention. 
He will show you the rights of the world and the wrongs of the world. Through progressive lens, what's right today won't be right tomorrow. It might be wrong. What you went to jail for yesterday, now, now you can walk around smoking if you want to. I had a conversation with one of our parishioners who spent years in prison. And to think what he spent time in prison for, people can walk around with today. Progressive, secular worldviews will constantly shift and then you won't have a foundation. You'll become confused. What is right and what is wrong? And God says, my word is now and forever. It will not change. Heaven and earth passes away, but this world will stay the same. So you can always come back to center. If you get off track, just open the Bible. It'll bring you right back where you need to be. You get off track in this world, hold on. Somebody will pet your little dysfunction, and the next thing you know, make you feel good in your dysfunction until it kills you. I'm preaching good today. We'll have a biblical worldview. We'll see the world through the lens of the scripture because it is the absolute truth. It guided Noah through the flood, Abraham to the new land, Moses out of bondage, Daniel through the lion's den, David to the throne, and Jesus to the resurrection. And it guided the apostles to the Spirit's fire and the glory of God, and it will still guide us today to heaven. I believe in the word of God. We will preach the word of God. Let me tell you something. With all the love that I can preach it with, it will still offend people. I need to say this. With all the love that I can muster up, and if I could soften my voice as as soft as I could to sound sweet and kind and precious, its truths will still penetrate. Its truths will still offend. And some people will be offended. Actually, a lot of people will be offended at the word of God. But here's the truth. It is the only real flashlight in a dark world. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said, The word of God is a lamp by night, a lamp by day, and a delight at all times. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is alive. I'm reading this in the, in the NIV because I need, think you need to get this. I know that King James says it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, but I believe this is a better translation in this so that you can get what I'm saying. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So here's what I want to, here's the line that I want to pull out of that. The word of God is alive. It's different from any other book, friend. The Bible is different from any other book in the world. There's nothing that compares to it. Not, and I'm not going to go into its historical value or its prophetic accuracy. I'm not going to go into that. I just want to draw off of this passage of Scripture and help you to understand that this book is living. It imparts life. You can read an, some, an instructional manual and get instructions how to fix something. You can read a good poet poetry book and it just inspire you in some way. 
and, and it'll do something that helps you. You can read a novel and you'll get into the story. You can read some of the stuff that's there. But listen to me. The Bible is the only book at all that will read you. And it imparts life. Why? Because it's God-breathed. It's impossible to read the Bible and not be sucking in the air of God. Woo! You want, you want spirit life in you? Jesus said, these words that I give you, they are spirit and they are life. You take it in and it's bringing in spirit life. Spirit life. It is shifting the inner you. It has the ability, the Bible says, to divide joints and marrow. It has the ability to create life inside of you. The Bible says in Isaiah 8, 40 and verse 8, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. It is, the, it, it is a lasting word and it lasts forever. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Matthew 4 and 4 says, But he answered and said to them, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The only food that will feed a soul, the only food that will really feed a soul is the word of God. You start starving the inner man of the word of God and I'll show you a religious coat. But if you can supply the inner man with the word of God, it'll build you up. It'll strengthen you. It is intended for the food of your soul. If you have weak resolve inside of your heart, the word of God will strengthen that resolve because it feeds the inner man. If, if you could just open it up as a table and feast upon the word of God, man, it has great value. Now, and, and, and I know I'm preaching to the choir I'm going to get you to mission with the Word of God in just a few minutes. <clears throat> but I need you to understand the importance of the Word of God. Listen to me, friend. You, you've not done anything more important in your life than what you're doing right now. You're hearing the Word of God. The only thing to elevate that any higher is for you to read it and do it yourself. You can't just be a hearer of it only, James said, the brother of Jesus. He said you cannot be a hearer of that Word only. You've got to become a doer. And the Bible teaches us, man, if we'll become the doers of the word of God, Jesus said, I come to do the will of him who sent me. And his life had the impact that it had because he completed the word of God. John 1 and 14 says, And the word became flesh. Now stop just a minute. You need to hear what I'm saying. This is profound. How many of y'all seen the Chosen series? It's amazing, isn't it? If you haven't seen the Chosen series yet, you need to download the app on your phone or your tablet and take it in. You need to watch it. In the Chosen series, I don't know if the new one's out, but the last one that I watched anyway uh, was where John is interviewing the uh, different ones, and he's saying, I need to write this down before we forget it. And it's, it's, it's kind of like it starts off after Jesus had died, rose again, and ascended to heaven. And he's, John is sitting with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And he's trying to write down what Jesus began both to do and to teach 
until the day that he was taken up, which is in 1 John, if you read that, which our eyes have seen, which our ears have heard, which our hands have handled concerning the word of life. But in that movie, John is documenting, and he's stuck. How do I open up? How do I open this letter? I can write down everything that Jesus did. And he's talking to, his mom, or talking to, to, to Mary about it. And Mary says, oh, he, he's like, I don't want to miss anything. And she said, oh, if you were to write it down, the books could not handle all that he did while he was here. So powerful, man, so powerful. But, but, but that at the point, he's like, but I don't know how to open it. And then it kind of reverses and goes back to the time of Jesus walking among them. And then it comes to him. By the Holy Spirit, of course. That he was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. The word put on flesh and, and, came, and came to demonstrate for you its great power. It's great love. And to show you clearly and plainly its author. If that only we could grasp the reality of the powerful and the profoundness of the word of God, it would be something that we would give the highest attention to every single day of our lives. We would count it not a grind to be able to read it and to study it, but an awesome pleasure. I'm going to give you some quotes from some great men and women of God who have gone on ahead. Some of them are still alive, but... I'm not going to say all of their names uh, as I go through this list. I'll actually share the first one because he's kind of famous among spirit-filled believers. It's the great evangelist Smith Wigglesworth. He said, there are four principles we need to maintain. First, read the Word of God. The second, consume the Word of God until it consumes you. Third, Believe the word of God. Fourth, act upon the word of God. So this man who would see the dead raised in his ministry, this man who received so many miracles in his ministry, this man who was locked up for doing miracles or seeing miracles in his ministry, you would say, Brother Wigglesworth, what would be the greatest thing that you could teach me? I believe he would say to you, Here's the four principles I want to give you. Read the Word of God. Second, consume the Word of God until it consumes you. Third, believe the Word of God. Fourth, act upon the Word of God. Here's another quote. If we want to know God, or if we want to know the glory of God, if we want to experience the beauty of God, if we want to be used by the hand of the living God, then we must live in the Word of God. I wish I could... See some people get excited for the Word of God right now. I wish, I wish our response, at least in this house, wouldn't be just to listen, but to know how to celebrate the Word of God. You, wait, you're trying to manipulate us for a shout. No, I, I don't want to shout, but I would ask you to shout to heaven. Celebrate the Word of God. I've found out in my life what you celebrate, you can function in deeper. What you only listen to, you pontificate a little bit. And something about people is that if we're not careful, just our pontification leads to procrastination. 
drop it. The word of God is like a lion. Oh, this is Spurgeon again. Man, let me tell you something. Can I, can I stop here just for a second? I was having a conversation just a little bit ago about something for some of these guys who went to a conference just recently, the Ignite Conference, and they were a little bit skeptical. Listen, this is one, one of the individuals, not everybody. This is one of the individuals said to me, a little bit skeptical because, listen, it was held at a Baptist church. Now, what... And here was my follow-up statement. I said, I believe that we as spirit-filled believers, if we're not careful, we're going to miss out on the next great move of God because we think we've already arrived because we have the fullness of the Spirit operating within us and we've used that for just a badge. So there are other people that are hungry. God move, God move, God move, God move, God move. We want to see a move of God. We want to see God just do great things. We want to see the miracles of God. We want to see the outpouring of God. And I am seeing, listen to me, I am seeing some Baptist churches across our land that have been hungering and thirsting after God and the Holy Spirit is exploding inside of them. As we Pentecostals sit back, speak in tongues and think we have it all. All I'm saying to us is that, man, we've got to get back into this. And listen to this Baptist preacher here say, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend the lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion can defend itself. Good Lord, what a statement, man. And he's talking about the word of God. Gosh, can I read that again? Because it's about to make me shout. The word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is just let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. Woo! A.W. Tozer the Great said, the word, of God will, will under, the word of God well understood and religiously obeyed is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. And we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. Nothing less than the whole Bible can make a whole Christian. Good mama mia. In the words of my dear friend, I probably shouldn't say that. He always said this. It got into me at one point in time and I tried to cast it out. But it comes back every now and then. The preacher that I love so dearly. You say something good, he'll say, Whoo, good, mother, that's so good. Almost sounds like he's about to say something bad. And he don't say mother of God. He don't say anything like that. He's just like, if you remind him, oh, my mama's good. If we want, here comes another one by this Baptist minister, Charles Spurgeon. If we want revivals, we must revive our reverence for the word of God. One word of God can do more than 10,000 words of man to relieve a distressed soul. I'm going to ask the band to come on back up. I'm going to end with a couple of things here real quickly. Guys, if you can come on back up. The reformer Martin Luther, I'm going to end with a quote of his. Like him, hate him, or indifferent with him, God used him to bring one of the greatest truths back to humanity or at least the Christian movement. That has shaped Western society 
more than anything else, and that was justification by faith. When he nailed the 95 thesis on the church in Edinburgh, he, one of the things that he captured, and I'm not saying I agree with everything, but I'm telling you one of the things he captured was justification by faith, meaning that you don't have to go through a man or anybody else to be justified. There is one person between God and man and it is the man Christ Jesus and it is through him and you have an advocate with the Father so you don't have to go to confession booth and you don't have to confess your sin to man. Now the Bible does say confess your faults one to another but for salvation, listen to me, it's only justification by faith. And Where he got that, he almost drove himself crazy when he became a monk to study the word of God thousands and thousands of hours when he came upon the truth that liberated him from nearly going insane, he came upon the book of Romans again with the understanding that God is the only one that justifies man. And it is by faith and through faith alone in Jesus Christ. I want you to stand with me. Holy Spirit, teach us the word. Martin Luther said, I'm much afraid that the schools will, pro will prove the very gates of hell. Let me say that one more time so that you hear this. I am afraid that the schools will prove the very gates of hell unless they diligently labored to explain the holy scriptures and engraving them on the hearts of youth I advise no one to place his child where the scriptures do not reign paramount every institution in which means are not Every institution in which means are not unceasingly occupied with the word of God must be corrupt. Now, this is not my ending to preach homeschooling, any of that stuff. You know where I'm landing? We've got life groups coming up. We've got a life group fall launch that's going to go on. That is our discipleship making tool. Are they perfect? No. But the word with which we center around is inerrant. It is the word of God. I would love 100% participation in life groups collectively. You're responsible. Listen, you're responsible for your own personal Bible studies. What we've become bad at is we have segregated personal Bible study and corporate Bible study and then evaluated which one is the most important. And we have not landed at a balanced scale. The scale is off balance. The scale is off balance somewhere. We've either allowed all of our Bible study to come from church or nearly none of it to come from church 
So the Bible rests on a coffee table or on our phone from Sunday to Sunday. Or we say, well, I can study the Bible on my own. And we don't value the gifts, the impartational gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher for the perfecting of the saints to do the work of ministry. And God never let us have an unbalanced scale in that. In fact, one of the things that, one of the, one of the seven things that the Lord hated in the book of Proverbs, one of them was an unbalanced scale. He that sows discord among the brethren and an unbalanced scale. An unbalanced scale. It's just important, listen, it's just as important to have a personal prayer life and a church family prayer life. Prayer meetings here is as important as prayer meetings at home in your closet. The teaching of entering the closet was not Jesus' exclusion from corporate praying. It was not a pathway. The problem was, was that they were in a Jewish society and the highest position was those who prayed in public and Jesus was trying to help them to understand that there is a reward for the secret place and there had been so many people that had forsaken the secret place to only come out and have the rabbis pray over them. And the Lord sent us back to the prayer closet, but not at the exclusion of the corporate prayer because we see in the New Testament, the book of Acts, when they corporately prayed, prison doors were open. Both of them, a balanced scale. I'll tell you that in worship too. It can't be here that you sing all the amazing songs we sing here and then in your car constantly pumping country music into your head. Or pop or rap. And I'm not here trying to be religious over that stuff. I'm just telling you, you this cannot be, we will be an unbalanced believer if this is only worship that we get. And I'm not talking about listening to WCQR running down the road either. I'm talking about when you just set aside and you honor and worship God privately and personally. But we've got to have both. It's not an unbalanced scale. It's both of them. Amen? So, so, so where am I at? Here's here's where I'm at today. Covenant Fellowship Church. Covenant Fellowship Church exists to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone everywhere. We're going to do that with three things that really help us hone in on that. And we're going to do that by encountering God, loving people, and we're going to give our lives to serving. This is not old news. This is, or this is not new news, but this is profound. And until we get it inside of us, my, until you can make that personal, my life exists to be the missionary God's called me to be to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone everywhere. I'm going to do that by making sure everywhere I go, somebody has an encounter with God. Somebody has to to experience the love of God. And I didn't go into the room to be served, but I come into the room to serve. If I'm on my job, I'm here to serve. If I'm at my church, I'm here to serve. If I'm at home, I'm there to serve. Come on, man. It shouldn't be the wife cooking all the meals and cleaning all the floors and cleaning all the laundry. At the same time, you should be able to help one another. We're there to serve. Amen. 
You serve one another. You serve one another. You serve one another. Come on, man, you serve one another. You serve one another in the bedroom. That's what the Bible says. You serve one another. It's a serving thing. I'm offending people, aren't I? It's a serving thing. And I'm going to do that with some great values that guide me, and you're going to get them. I'm going to be a word-centered person. I'm going to be a spirit-led child of God. I'm going to be presence-driven. I'm going after the presence of God every single week. I'm going to, I've come to offer Him a sacrifice of praise every week. Huh? Sacrifices were bloody, messy. And we had to try to have cute praise instead of bloody, messy. you got to go back and watch what I put this morning on the right. Because the Bible says, I used to preach a message years ago when I was doing a lot more evangelism work called the 11th commandment. The 11th commandment. I know there's only 10, but there's another commandment. The book of Exodus that says, Thou shalt not plant a grove of trees near unto the altar of the Lord thy God. You know what the, the people did? They got real cute. Here they are. They're taking the glory of God to the world. But you know what? People are coming up and say, Well, this great God who parts waters, yeah, I want to know him. And then they go to the front door of the tabernacle and they see dead animals and burning flesh. And you know what the people do? Ah, let's put some poles around the altar. Maybe people would like Jehovah better if they didn't see all that blood and gore and mess. So they would paint, they put up Asherah poles like totem poles and painted like murals on them. Don't see the blood and the gore. Just look past that. You'll see that light burning in there. You'll see that glory, that fresh bread that's coming from the Holy of Holies. And God says, do not plant a grove of trees near unto the altar of the Lord thy God. Tear that down. Let them see the messy blood because it's going to remind them of two things. Number one, the cross. But number two, the cost of their own praise. If you're going to bring a sacrifice of praise. You want to know why it doesn't bother me for you to judge me whether I got my hands up or dancing or on. Kevin's talking about dancing up here this morning. I, I didn't look because I'm not here to judge you. But how many actually even tried? Don't raise your hands. How many actually even tried? Well, I don't want to do it. I don't dance in the chair. Listen, bring a sacrifice next time. I promise you, you'll see some breakthrough. I'm not trying to hurt you. I really am not trying to hurt you. And, and I'm not saying that's the, always the demonstration. What I am saying is that true praise is bloody messy. Presence driven. Mission engaged. Family valued. Worship focused. That's who we are. Let me ask you. Are you a part of this? Do you want to be a part of this? Is this what God has for you? I pray so. I pray that we can do it with some dynamic synergy. I believe God will do something amazing. And that wraps up this episode of the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. For more information about who we are, please visit us at cfbristol.com or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope that you have a blessed day. And as always, just like we find in Isaiah 60 verse 1, we hope you arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you.